What is going on? Happy Wednesday. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Been monitoring for the last two hours uh, the Supreme Court uh, oral arguments that are underway in the uh, Harper v. Moore case. This is out of North Carolina. It's a redistricting case, sort of. But it's a test of this independent state legislature doctrine or theory, depending on which side of the aisle you are on, um, where uh, so far the oral arguments, the thing that really stands out to me is where this, uh, the Supreme Court is apparently unable to figure out what the definition of legislature is. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I know I just said the independent state legislature theory or doctrine, and I used the word legislature, but apparently there is not a consensus understanding of what the word legislature means. Uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson kept saying she doesn't understand various things and and couldn't understand what the definition of the legislature is, but, I mean, honestly... If she didn't know what a woman is defined as, what chance does legislature have, right? I mean, as far as words go. So uh, we will get all into that. But first, I want to start off with just a quick recap. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this uh, of what happened in Georgia yesterday. Anybody surprised at that? Eric Erickson, uh, talk show host out of uh, Atlanta. I believe it's Atlanta, but I know he's in Georgia. Um He wrote a big piece on this at Substack.com, and he says the Democrats now have majority control of the Senate, including its committees. And I want to be very clear here. Herschel Walker did not need Donald Trump to win the GOP primary. He is, after all, Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker did not lose because of Trump per se. But Herschel Walker would never have even entered the race but for Donald Trump convincing him to run. No RNC chair in the history of the whole party, beginning back in 1856, has gone as long as Ronna McDaniel without seeing at least one winning election season. The GOP has lost every election cycle since she took the job in 2017. More than being tied to Trump, the story of Herschel Walker is that the candidate's quality absolutely matters. I preach this all the time. Candidates matter. The campaigns matter. How they run their campaigns. That stuff matters. It's not strictly, did I get an endorsement from Trump or not? It's not strictly, how much money did I raise? That's a big part of it. These are all parts of you know winning a race. But the candidate matters. The campaigns matter. The districts matter. right? The national mood matters. All of this stuff matters. Anyone who tells you Herschel Walker was a top-tier candidate should be ignored, Erickson says. His performance and his baggage, all known going into the race, meant he should have been deterred from getting into it in the first place. But Donald Trump convinced him to get in. And then Donald Trump did virtually nothing to help him. In fact, what Trump did, speaking up about Walker during Trump's own announcement speech at Mar-a-Lago, was actually used against Herschel Walker. And by the way, what I'm reading today from people on both sides of the aisle uh, is sort of admiration for Raphael Warnock's campaign, where he went, who he spoke to. He never alienated his own base, but he also did a whole bunch of campaign ads that made him likable and approachable um, and uh, sort of a safe space for 
a lot of the, quote, soft Republicans, a.k.a. suburban Republican, mainly women. As much as Walker was a thoroughly likable person, he was just a bad candidate who would have never entered the race except for Trump pushing him to do it. The remarkable closeness of the runoff had everything to do with Mitch McConnell sinking $11 million into the runoff and Brian Kemp keeping his ground game going. Kemp was able to boost GOP turnout, but it was not enough. Warnock spent the campaign tying Walker to Donald Trump. So then uh, Erickson goes through and says every Republican statewide candidate won, except, or sorry, every single one except for one. The GOP got more votes statewide than the Democrats for the combined congressional votes. This is a a stat you often hear when uh, talking about redistricting, right? That you look at all of the votes cast in a state and look at how many of the uh, how many of them went for one party over the other. And that's how, you know, it's well, their argument. I don't buy this argument because, again, campaigns and candidates matter. District lines matter, all of that. uh, But. They say, well, you know, Republicans got, you know, 52 percent of the statewide congressional votes. So they should have 52 percent of the seats, essentially goes the argument. But it is, aside from an argument on redistricting, which I reject, it it does indicate some level of support for a particular party brand, right? If you've got most voters in a state like North Carolina, most of the votes went for Republican congressional candidates. It doesn't mean they got more seats because of the way the the courts drew the lines, which is actually what's being argued today, right now, actually, in the Supreme Court. Anyway, the GOP got more uh, more votes statewide than the Democrats for state Senate races. Um, the GOP got more statewide votes than the Democrats for the state House races. The GOP held and or won a handful of suburban districts where they expected to lose. Only Herschel Walker defied that statewide trend and lost. He goes on for a couple more bullet points on this, but to summarize, he says every single candidate in Georgia that Donald Trump endorsed lost the primary except two. One of the two lost the general and the other won, but underperformed every other statewide Republican who won. Georgia has 16 electoral college votes in 2024. Evangelical women, many of whom sucked it up and voted for Trump in 16 and or 2020 for the greater good, they were not going to vote for Walker, who never mounted an effective response to Warnock's attacks related to abuse. A door knocker in the Atlanta suburbs called my show the other day and said it was married men who he had trouble convincing in this area because Walker seemed like a bad dad to them. Republicans, you have to move beyond celebrity candidates. So many Georgians were mad at me in the primary when I raised all of Walker's red flags. And they yelled at me that it's because you hate Trump. I said, no, Walker is objectively a deeply flawed candidate and Georgia's voters hate Trump, not me. Right. This is sort of like, you know, read the room. (laughs) Know your audience, which is what Erickson gets. He's a he's a talk show host. Know your audience. And. Georgia, I mean, think about that. Georgia has two Democrat senators, right? They're, it's more on the left now than Florida is. Isn't that amazing? Who would have thought that? 
He then goes on to a a separate section called Cleanup on Aisle RNC. Yeah. Clean up on aisle RNC. Clean up on aisle RNC. Eric Erickson writing at his Substack. RNC, are you really going to keep Ronna McDaniel as your chair? She's undoubtedly going to take credit for a Herculean lift in Georgia. But she and the RNC and the Georgia Republican Party did not do too much. The governor, Kemp, did way more. Mitch McConnell spent $11 million, way more. Under David Schaefer, the Georgia Republican chairman, Georgia went down in 2020, and now the uh, Senate in 2022. He has alienated himself from the entirety of the statewide GOP leadership by backing primary candidates to most of them. Ooh, that's not a good look. It's so bad now that the Georgia Republican leaders have set up a leadership pack to steer money from the Georgia GOP just to keep the money out of David Schaefer's hands. Not a good look. You know what this reminds me of? The disarray that the North Carolina Democratic Party was in before the Republicans took control in 2010. You know, Democrats had controlled our state for over a century, about a century and a half, and they were so racked with scandal and mismanagement that they were about to be evicted from their headquarters in Raleigh. They were so bad and disorganized that Kay Hagan, state senator, incumbent, uh, she used the Raleigh Republican Party, the county Republican Party, she used them to help support her reelection campaign rather than the state Democrat Party. And uh, she eventually lost to Tom Tillis. This is what it reminds me of, what's going on in Georgia, what little I know of it. The, these types of stories, this kind of stuff, I mean, this, uh, that's a big deal. When you've got the, the uh, Republican leaders in the state routing money around the party because the guy in charge is using the money to primary you, like that's a problem. <laughs> At the national level, we have the 2018 loss, midterms. The 2020 loss, presidential. 2021 runoff loss. 2022 loss. 2022 runoff loss. So you're going to keep the losingest RNC chair in party history? Ronna McDaniel has literally never had a winning election season as chair of the RNC. Now, up until this point, um, Lee Zeldin, who ran for governor of New York, who is largely credited with essentially uh, winning the U.S. Congress for the Republicans. How did that happen? Well, his campaign and his get out the vote efforts were so uh, uh, effective that He was able to drive up turnout statewide for Republicans, which led to victories down ballot. He did not win the governorship, but his campaign efforts and the work that he did is, and I don't know this to be true or not, but this is what he is largely credited with doing, having boosted the turnout in New York, which then uh, yielded a couple of, uh, of wins in the congressional races that Republicans were not expecting, and so it gave them more of a cushion when they lost other races around the country. And so Lee Zeldin says, I won't be running for RNC chair at this time with McDaniel's reelection pre-baked by design, but that doesn't mean 
she should even be running again. He said, I am grateful for the messages I have received from across the country the past few weeks encouraging me to run for chair of the RNC. Change is desperately needed, and there are many leaders, myself included, ready and willing to step up to ensure our party retools and transforms as critical elections fast approach, namely 2024. However, the issue is Chairwoman McDaniel's re-election appears to be already pre-baked, as if the disappointing results of every election during her tenure, including yesterday in Georgia, do not and should not even matter. No matter what, I'm committed to doing absolutely everything in my power to help save our country with every ounce of my energy. As for the Republican Party, it uh, must become more successful at fundraising, more efficient with spending, sharper with ballot collection and election integrity efforts, smarter with messaging, more present in Democrat strongholds, and more connected to the grassroots. The RNC must collaborate more with state and local organizations, take more risks in changing for the better, and allow fresh blood and new leadership to rise through its ranks. The Republican Party must more heavily lean into candidate recruitment, campaign management, volunteer engagement, and voter registration. He said they all, uh, the uh, Republicans also have to do a better job communicating um, not just what we are against, Related to, you know, terrible policies, Democrats and Biden. But specifically, what are we for? The way to earn votes from Democrat and independent voters is not by acting like Democrats, but by being proud Republicans, articulating why we stand for the positions we are most passionate about. That's how to create a movement. If the GOP that has um, the many ideas our nation needs right now to deliver safer streets, upward economic mobility, better schools, Yada, yada, yada. Uh, Republican Party needs to be all in to do everything in its power to save America. It goes on. It's a very lengthy statement. Um, but that's surprising. Zeldin says he's not running for the chairmanship because Ronna McDaniel's um, victory is already guaranteed. Hmm. Um, what else? Oh, we have an update on the... Um, on the Twitter files. Sorry. Yes. The Twitter files. Right. All right. So we have an update. Um, there was, they were supposed to have delivered some of uh, some more uh, uh, files and tweets and such, more reporting on it. Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss. They were, uh, when they first did the dump on Friday, and I noticed this, there were, because uh, they were numbering all the tweets, as one does in a tweet thread, or what used to be called a tweet storm. So they, you, you number the tweets so this way people know which ones follow the others, because sometimes on your timeline it gets jumbled up, but whatever. So there, were, there was a gap of like four tweets that were gone between like 12 and 16 or something. And I thought that was odd, but then I thought, well, maybe, you know, somebody put the kibosh on it, and that was it. But they said that more was going to be coming, and I had seen reports that they were looking to dump more files over the weekend. And then that didn't happen. And now here we are on Wednesday. Well, where are, where's the next round of the, um, of the Twitter files? Where's the next? Right. All right. So journalist Barry Weiss, who along with Matt Taibbi, has been tapped by Twitter CEO Elon Musk to publicly release the Twitter files. She was shocked, she said, to... 
She was shocked to learn the person in charge of the process within the company. You know who it was? Deputy General Counsel Jim Baker. No, not the PTL guy. Do you remember the name Jim Baker from the other day when we were talking initially about the dump on Friday? Uh-huh. The former FBI guy at the center of the Russiagate collusion story who then went to Twitter just in time to put the kibosh on the Hunter Biden story. That guy has been, he's still on the payroll. He's the general counsel. And he's been, uh, he's been vetting the files, which may be why the words or the letters FBI were never mentioned in the initial dump. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Email from John who says, Pete, there are just over 160 voters at the RNC that elect the chairman. More than 100 of them have already signed a letter of support for Chairman McDaniels. So Lee Zeldin is correct. The election for RNC chair is over. Um, Tim says, Pete, uh, this is an addendum. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, all right. So an addendum to an email I sent after last month's vote. The three Macs must be removed from the Republican Party. Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Ronna Romney McDaniel. If not, the Republican Party is dead as far as I'm concerned. And the winning formula for Republicans is simple. Just simply start to represent everyday working patriotic Americans, you know, your voter base, as opposed to the one world order establishment, and you'll win a lot more elections and voter turnout will not be a problem. That is from Stan. Oh, also, I forgot to tell you, the Charlotte Knights are hosting their outdoor hockey rink, snow tubing hill, and uh, Christmas tree, um, uh, what do they call it, the Christmas tree lane, Christmas tree lane. I was going to call it Avenue, but a lane is totally different. Christmas tree lane, also the snowtastic winter wonderland. You can feel the magic of the holidays at the Light the Nights Festival. It is at Truist Field, and it's going on now through January 6th. And um, if you're looking for some unique Christmas gift ideas and stuff, go check them out. You can explore the holiday market, try the European menu at the Charlotte Christmas Village. It's the Light the Nights Festival now through January 6th. No riots, please. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, it's January 6th. It's Epiphany. All righty. So what happened? Um, Was this yesterday? I want to say what's today, the 7th. So yesterday, yeah. Jim Baker. Turns out Jim Baker, formerly of the FBI, who just happened to get hired by Twitter after resigning, quote-unquote, from the FBI amidst the Russia collusion hoax collapse, he goes over to Twitter and is now their deputy general counsel. The Washington Times reported that he served in that post for four years, leaving in June. uh, He was in the FBI, leaving in June of 2020, When he joined Twitter, his time at the FBI was eventful, including very much being involved with the Russia hoax, which was the bureau's investigation into whether then Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump's campaign was colluding with the Kremlin to win the 2016 race. 
Spoiler, it wasn't. Special counsel Robert Mueller's team later concluded that the Trump campaign did not collude with Russia. Baker came over to Twitter just in time to get wrapped up in helping suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story just prior to the 2020 presidential election. That's the same laptop with emails and other communications suggesting that President Joe Biden may very well be compromised by his family's overseas business dealings in communist China and Ukraine, among other places. Matt Taibbi, the reporter, said the following on Twitter, quote, on Friday, the first installment of the Twitter file. No, no. The first installment of the Twitter files that... On Friday, the first installment of the Twitter files was published. Here, we expected to publish more over the weekend. Many wondered why there was a delay. We can now tell you part of the reason why. On Tuesday, Twitter's deputy general counsel and former FBI general counsel, Jim Baker, was fired. Among the reasons? Vetting the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of new management. Over the weekend, while we both dealt with obstacles to new searches, it was Barry Weiss who discovered that the person in charge of releasing the files was somebody named Jim. When she asked, she called to ask Jim's last name. She got the last name, Baker. Barry Weiss says, my jaw hit the floor. Later on, uh, this is, by the way, from uh, Randy DeSoto at uh, Western Journal. The New York Post's Miranda Devine, who helped break the Hunter Biden laptop story in October 2020, noticed on Friday during the initial dump of the Twitter files that the... She noticed in the initial dump that there was no mention of the FBI. She went on Fox News on Saturday saying, look, this is all fantastic. What Elon Musk is doing, making his company's communications uh, public regarding the censorship of that story. But she said, quote, unfortunately, he left out a crucial element, and that was the involvement of the FBI. She noted that uh, it's a matter of public record that the FBI approached Twitter and Facebook in the days and weeks before the New York Post story came out and warned the social media companies of a hack and leak operation likely involving Hunter Biden. She said the FBI, she knows this, get this, she knows the timing of this because she was in communication with Rudy Giuliani. And so he knew, because she discussed it with him, exactly when the story would drop. They knew when the Post was going to publish the story because the FBI was monitoring her communications. And then they turned around and went to Twitter and Facebook. See, this is why... People who are saying that this is about Hunter Biden's PP pictures, right? That is a distraction. It is meant to shame and is meant to deflect, okay? This has nothing to do with pictures of Hunter Biden in the hotel rooms naked with the hookers and the cocaine, okay? It's not, or crack, or meth, or underage women, whatever. Right. Does, that, that's not what, although that could be a big problem for him with interstate human trafficking laws and such. But the point here is that this was part of a coordinated campaign that originated in the intelligence community. That's the story. It's been more than two years 
since the New York Post published the first article on Hunter Biden's laptop. And a lot and for the last two years, it seems like. You know, the effort to reveal what was going on, the dirty deals, this uh, this influence peddling family syndicate operation. It seemed even hopeless or stalled, right? Democratic propaganda outlets circled the wagons around the president they helped elect, and they never asked him or the White House if Biden is the big guy. That seems like a pretty um, easy question to ask, don't you think? At a press conference of some kind just to say, hey, is Joe Biden the big guy from the Bobulinski emails? Social media platforms continued to restrict users who did not follow the party line that Democrats are the good guys and everybody else is ignorant or evil. New York Post's Michael Goodwin writing that feeling it could always count on this prediction or this protection, the Biden White House was free to ignore any new evidence against the president. Attorney General Merrick Garland felt safe enough with Democrats control of Congress that he could sit on the four year old probe of the president's son over taxes and lobbying, even as he raided Donald Trump's home and launched two probes against the former president. The FBI secretly warned Twitter to be on the lookout for hacked materials. The former head of site security for Twitter said there were rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. This is what they were told. Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, a.k.a. Meta, he has said the same thing, said it on Joe Rogan podcast. Now, most important is the investigative work that the new House majority has promised. Armed with subpoena power, Representative Jim Jordan and other likely committee chairs finally will be able to compel testimony and demand documents about how Joe Biden profited from his family's influence peddling schemes. Even more crucial is the question of whether the president's involvement has compromised him in dealing with any foreign adversaries. There are a number of different avenues that have produced results on this. House investigation, attorney's general lawsuit, the Twitter files that have just been uh, documented. But the final act in this long drama will begin with growing public outrage. And maybe then the media will finally do their jobs and follow the facts instead of a partisan agenda. Got a tweet from Maximus Decimus. <laughs> I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's a Pete tweet. It says, Pete, Ronna McDaniel is the Matt Rule of RNC chairs. <laughs> oh, she lasted longer, actually. That's uh, that's actually remarkable. More losing seasons. Hasn't won a game, right? More losing seasons than Matt Rule, and she's still in the job. Uh... Do you agree, uh, Bakes says, Pete, do you agree we need a change from GOP chairwoman to PNJBon? I don't know. My computer is seizing up here. I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to read. Is that pra, is that Prajit or Prahit? Pramit? Is that the lawyer? I saw there's, yeah, Har, sorry, there it is. Harmeet K. Dillon. I didn't know that's P-N-J-A-B-A-N. Wife, founder of Dillon Law, Liberty Center, uh, Republican lawyer, civil rights work at the Liberty Center. She is interested. Yeah, I follow her. She's interested also. Has she actually come out and said that she wants to run? Oh, no, I hit another button. Oh, no. 
I don't know what's going on. My computer's just running really, really slowly, so I'm just going to go ahead and uh, I'll just go ahead and put that on pause. Let me get back to the Twitter files. Uh, yes, I think the GOP should get rid of Ron McDaniel as chair. Absolutely. Uh, but what do I know? Just a radio host. Uh, the FBI as the pointy is the pointy end of the executive branch spear, says Andy McCarthy over at National Review. And the FBI would have us believe that it in no way intentionally interfered in the 2020 election. But the evidence that it did so and that it's doing so was part of a years long pattern. It is by leaps and bounds stronger than the evidence that the Trump campaign corruptly conspired with Russia to interfere in the 2016 election. Right, that was the baseless allegation energetically promoted by the Bureau, which inflamed the country for two years. That damage, the fallout from that damage still being felt today. Taibbi, Matt Taibbi's were reporting is important, but I was surprised by the weakness of his observation that beyond a general warning about possible foreign hacks, there appeared to be no evidence of FBI complicity in the pre-election social media suppression of the Post's reporting on damning information from Hunter Biden's laptop. Well, now we know why. Now we know why Taibbi didn't have any references to this stuff in uh, his Friday dump, in the, the, the initial reporting. Now we know why. It's because the guy who was in charge of the FBI, the general counsel, who was in charge of the Russiagate collusion, was now in one of the top posts in legal for Twitter. And he was apparently screening all of these things. Now we know why. Let me jump ahead here. This is a very lengthy piece by uh, Andy McCarthy. Um, and to summarize, where is it here? Where did, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where did this? Where did my summary go? Oh, okay. All right, sorry. Um, the message that the FBI willfully conveyed to Twitter was if you suddenly see a story unfavorable to the Bidens that comes from a computer, assume that the underlying information has been hacked and the Russians are probably at it again, just like in 2016. And in this instance, the Bureau could be confident that Twitter was being advised by Baker, a man steeped in FBI practice and the dizzying Bureau speak. As if we needed more. Then came the 51 national security officials who, in a jaw-dropping Election Eve Eve proclamation, went all in on the Democrat FBI storyline that the laptop reporting was Russian disinformation. Naturally, the gang of 51 was led by the two top former Obama officials, Jim Clapper and John Brennan, who had worked most closely with the FBI in peddling the 2016 Russian interference and Trump-Russia collusion narratives. Joe Biden himself pronounced in a presidential debate watched by tens of millions of Americans that the laptop story must be disinformation because, after all, dozens of former national security officials had said so. Andy McCarthy concludes, he says, the most galling part, they think we're morons. (laughs) Right? They think they're so very clever, manipulating words, putting their thumbs on the scale with the power we entrust to them. They think that they have covered their tracks with so much deniability that we, the benighted rabble, could not hope to keep up with them. I guess we'll see if they're right. I hope they're not. But we'll see. All right, up next, we're going to get into the Supreme Court. 
We're going to get to Independence State Legislature, doctrine or theory, and I'm going to give away some uh, gift cards for food.